God that shows grace to people, then uh, whatever you did, God just kind of overlooked it. That never was a teaching of the Scripture, and certainly uh, it would have to be a far stretch of the imagination. But you see, when men try to figure out things for themselves, separate and apart from the Scripture, this is when they uh, deviate from the principles of the Lord. And it is just real easy to lay the Bible aside and run your life by logic and get totally off base. I met a man one time in a church, and he told me I was teaching something. He came up and told me, he said, I never read the Bible because, he said, I'm a very logical man. And he said, the Bible is just a book that's full of wisdom and logic. And if you know the right line of logic, you don't need to read your Bible because you just do what is right. Well, that's the most illogical approach to Scripture that I have ever heard because the carnal mind cannot know the things that are of God because they are spiritually discerned. Now, several years ago, uh, during the late 60s and early 70s, quite a few people came to the Lord in our Pentecostal ranks from uh, the drug culture, uh, several from prison, and they went throughout our fellowship telling their stories. They spent a lot of time in youth camps telling about uh, what God had delivered them from. Now, this never did ring a real, true, clear note of approval to, for me. I just there's just something about it that that just didn't sound right. In other words, you spend 45 minutes telling about all about evils and uh, uh, you know how drugs are made and how you robbed a bank and killed someone's grandmother and all of this and. And, and then at the end, you talk, talk about the saving grace of the Lord. Uh, that just didn't quite seem right to me. Now, <clears throat> I have known of people that have gone into exclusive ministries uh, where they talked about drugs or they talked about rock music and such, and I've known of several people involved in those kind of ministries that, that truthfully went right back into those things. And this is something that that uh, I was concerned about because we have a whole lot of young people who live in what I consider just innocence to the pure. The Bible says all things are pure. It doesn't mean that they are pure, but to the pure they are. In other words, if your intent is not toward evil, then naturally you do not extract from that particular principle what uh, maybe somebody else would. Uh, but uh, I felt that young people who knew nothing about the drug culture, knew nothing about crime and such, would just be better off not hearing that. And nevertheless, uh, nevertheless, several people continued, and then there were a couple of occasions here in our district in which we had some situations that we had to deal with at youth camp, and some of our young people tried to practice some of the things that they had heard some of the speakers talk about.
and uh, I was happened to be in on the the uh, uh, evaluation of uh, some of these situations at youth camp, and I said, well, I, I, I would like to just express my, my heartfelt conviction about this. I said, some of these young people knew nothing about it until we introduced it to them. And we introduced it to them, and uh, as a result, these people became uh, tempted by hearing this, and, of course, they wanted to, to go out and do this. Now, Galatians 6 and 1, I just had the opportunity to talk with somebody about this, but if you will turn to Galatians 6 and 1, I'll show you what the Apostle Paul talks about. Uh, basically, Galatians 6 is talking about doing good to all men, but he talks about a brother or a man, uh, if he be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Basically what the Bible is saying when it comes to restoration. Now let me just, let me just give you some thoughts about restoration. Restoration is something that occurs within the body of Christ where a person is restored back to the full benefits of fellowship. There are times in which dispositions or a disposition has to be made against an individual because of sin. Now you have to keep in mind that when the Lord forgives you, He just forgets it, and that's the end of it. Now that doesn't mean, however, God's just going to jerk you right up and you're going to start preaching or, or doing whatever you were doing before. And the reason why is because we have to consider the credibility that has slipped drastically among the children of the Lord during that time in which the sin occurred. Uh, we are not God. And we cannot just forget like God forgets. While time does not erase sin, it does change our perspective relative to it. Now, basically, forgiveness comes quick, uh, quickly and easily because that's something that God does. But restoration can be slow and painful. And uh, it is that way simply because we're all human beings. And you may say, well, uh, we should never feel that way. Well, that's easy to say, but if... It's easy to say, especially to the person who has committed the sin. But please don't jump on someone's back who's not been involved in the sin and request that they be spiritual because it was you who committed the sin that fell to start with. If it's so easy, you, would have, you could have stayed out of sin too. But it tells you what sin can do. See? Now, the thing about it is, when someone falls... And there is a disposition against them in the church. They should be restored back into full fellowship with the body by designated spiritual leaders. Now this concerns me because quite often you'll find someone will sin and usually it's the weak sympathetic people who gather around that person to try to restore them. And, and usually this is what you say. This is what you hear. Well... Uh, 
they understand because they did the same thing. Well, I'm not for sure that that line of logic is scriptural logic. You follow what I'm saying? You need someone that's stronger than you and stronger than you were if they're trying to restore you. See, there's one thing for God to forgive you. There's another thing for you to trust God to keep you out of that area of temptation. See, Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, 13. This is, this is the, the Lord's Prayer, and most of you have heard this. And the Lord's Prayer, the Bible says the, the Lord prayed, and this is what he said, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we are to pray every day that the Lord... Keep us from temptation. I don't know when's the last time you prayed that, but that is an extremely important part of your prayer. You may say, well, I thought it was temptation that made us strong. Well, if you overcome the temptation. But you, but you, you, you well know that, it, you know that if you want to be able to handle hot stuff, all you need to do is just get your hands burned to the point that you're not sensitive to anything else. And you'll be able to handle it even if, even if, it, if it physically burns you. But that's not, that isn't correct because God put the nerves in your hands in order for you to avoid certain things. And, and you see, once, once certain things have been committed... In the mind, even though you may dismiss them, you'll always have those flash, those things will come back to you. There are certain things that I have done that I wish that I had never have partaken of. It, it would just be better for me. So what I think that young people need to be taught is, is, is to avoid sin... And they need to be taught that it is indeed the grace of God that keeps them away from sin. It's not the grace of God that, that allows them to sin. And, and God, through His mercy, forgives. That's not the way grace works. So everything that God has kept you from, you need to be thankful for that. And you need to praise God for that. But quite often you'll find someone that has slipped in their walk with God. They did not walk according to the Scripture. And you'll find a whole lot of weak people that are quite sympathetic, especially there are some people that if the church uh, has to uh, in, in any way discipline someone because of some sin, and that is scriptural, by the way. It's not practiced a lot nowadays because of the tolerance that Christians have towards sin. But nevertheless, it's usually a bunch of weak people that gather around them to be sympathetic to try to restore them. And that is not the scriptural route. So I'm saying that to say this, that if you know of someone that's committed a sin, whether the church has disciplined them, whether there's, it's, it's beside the point, you better make sure before you jump in with both feet and say, well, I want to be willing to help. You may be willing to help, but let's say, before you say, I will go help that person, you must consider your own walk with God. And when the Bible says 
that, that you restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, that simply means that you humbly walk before God, realizing that this situation could also blank you out. That is, that is so, so important. So we just need to be very, very careful in our walk with God. Very careful. What I'm finding about people today is that, that so many people give very little thought at all to their involvement with people and with situations. They just, you know, with both feet, they just jump in under the banner, I want to help. And it doesn't always work that way. Now, Jesus prayed that we should not be led into temptation. Now, Matthew 26, 41 and 2 Peter 2, 9 both speaks of the temptations that come our way. Now, we'll not turn and read those scriptures because I want to spend a little more time in this, this area concerning our evil generation. You see, we live in a world that is far from being crucified with Christ. In other words, every corner you look, there is a, there is a God there because we have made humanity our God. We serve the creature more than the Creator. Now you can find in Romans 1, you, if you will turn there, you will find a, a world that is, that is so set against God and God's wrath is, is, is against them. Uh, I don't really know where I'd like to begin reading. There's just so much in this. Let's just uh, uh, take a look at verse 18. This talks about the Gentiles being guilty before God. Let me say this that before we start. Paul talks about people being turned over to a reprobate mind. Basically... A reprobate mind is an individual whose will has been totally destroyed to the point that they cannot be saved. In other words, the light that's within them, that's responsible for them coming to God, and that is the light of the Lord that's within every man when he's born. Because Jesus was the, was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. That light is totally darkened. And it's darkened because of self-will. Now, the Bible says, starts out by saying, For the wrath of God, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, basically, what the Scripture is saying is that there are some people that would know the truth. If you ask them what they need to do to be saved, they would know but they hold that truth in unrighteousness. In other words, their deeds, their actions do not speak of what they actually believe. So this, this, this is the first start of this uh, falling away that, that, that Paul is talking about, being turned over to a reprobate mind. You've got to be very careful about believing something and not following through with it. it. It is extremely important because you can't just hold on to that. It's not optional. If you know something, that's why the Bible says, He that knoweth to do good and doeth not to him, it is sin. Because if you know to do it and you don't do it, you won't always retain that knowledge of what is right. 
because it will leave you. All right. Now verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it to them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now notice verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Now we see that that digressive falling away. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. In other words, they knew what was right, and no doubt even bragged about it, but they didn't do it, and therefore they couldn't retain that knowledge. Verse 23, They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Now here we see God's wrath then going against these people. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And the word, <coughs> the phrase rather, <coughs> God also gave them up. It simply means God gave up on them. If you think God's going to continue, continue to deal with a man all the days of his life, if he is set in his heart of walking away, there's no guarantee in the Scripture he will do this. Now, he suffered long with man in the days of Noah, not willing that any should perish. But there was a time in which God said, get in the ark, we're going to close the door, and it's going to rain 40 days and 40 nights, and everybody that wouldn't listen will suffer the wrath of God. Now, it is amazing that when sin abounds, how much tolerant people think God should be of them. And the closer they get to God, how much more they understand what the fear of the Lord's all about and how much they understand about the wrath of God. Now, you'd think it'd be just the opposite, but it isn't. In other words, a person who prays every day about his heart about his condition, about his walk, a person who repents over his sin every time he commits it, he's the man that views God as a God that created everything that could, if he so desired, send judgment against him. The person, however, that does whatever they want to do, they view God as being very tolerant of all sin. All right, so verse 24 the Bible says, Wherefore God also gave up on them, and he turned them to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up to vile affections. God gave up on them, and they went to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use unto that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was met. Now, isn't that something? Now, I, I don't, I, I just can't believe. That, that the lesbian and homosexual community can do what they do and say 
that, that they do it under the banner of Christianity. It is, it is a stretch of the imagination. They cannot be reading their Bible. They, they cannot be. Now I want to read, I want to read a note found in, 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 in the Bible that I'm using. It's talking about men with men. The apostle likely regarded the homosexual, lesbian, uh, abomination as the greatest evidence of human degeneracy resulting from in, immorality and abandonment by God. All right? And he talks about Genesis 19, verse 4 through 5, Leviticus 18, 22. Now this is what the, what the, the commentary states in this Bible. I just want to read it. Any nation that justifies homosexual, homosexuality or lesbianism as an acceptable lifestyle is in its final stages of moral corruption. All right? Now, for, for, for more information about this subject, read Genesis 19, 4 through 9, Leviticus 20, 13, Deuteronomy 23, 17, 1 Kings 14, 24, 1 Kings 15, 12, 1 Kings 22, 46, Isaiah 3, 9, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, 1 Timothy 1 and 10, 2 Peter 2, 6, and Jude 7. Now, if you want to look at the condition of America, especially the, the American church today, I'm talking about as a whole, you are seeing it in Romans 1. And do you think that if this nation forgets God, it will stand? It will not stand. A minister here in Madison, now this happened back in midsummer, one church here in town ordained a homosexual as a minister. And they were talking about this. That weekend, another church came out and said, yeah, but you weren't the first. We want to have credit to be in the first. And one pastor here in Madison said, if Jesus Christ, if God, he said, walked on the planet Earth and viewed man through the eyes of Jesus Christ like he did when Jesus was here, he would personally apologize for God destroying Sodom and Gomorrah because of its homosexuality. Because God has changed his views. But you see, you don't see that in the Scripture. In other words, if every last one of us on this planet Earth rose up and voted against God, you don't change the final outcome of the white throne judgment. Especially in view of the Bible telling us what's going to take place there. That every man will give an account for the deeds that he has done in the flesh. And if we have anybody here that's leaning toward this type of thinking, I hope that God gets a hold of you tonight and shakes you like a horse trotting on concrete. Because it's this type of liberal thinking that's causing America to go down the drain. Amen. All right. My. All right, so <clears throat> this is what happened. And then, of course, uh, I, w- I read verse 27, verse 28, and even, that it, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those wing- things which are not convenient. 
In other words, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. In other words, the light that was in them was taken out by God Himself because of their sin. He said, if you want to do this, you go ahead and do this, but you will do it void of the blessings of Almighty God. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without natural, or without understanding, pardon me, covenant breakers, without natural affection, and, and affection. I didn't mean infection. Now, <laughs> Somebody may have to, you may have to get me a bigger Bible, Sister Grant. <clears throat> now, it, it, I'm telling you, this is, this, this is what we're faced with. I mean, we're, we are definitely faced with this. It, it, it is it's amazing to me. And we see all these things. And, and these things are affecting us. But you see, here's what's happening. And it's especially true to our young people. Our young people are being desensitized. This is pretty much a shockless world. You can read anything, hear anything, see anything. It's just a, a shockless society. That, that's, that's, that's what we live in. And, and if you're not careful, you see, this will rub off on you. And may I say this, the closer to the to the periphery or the closer to the edge of the world that you live the more sense the things of the world make to you why because you become desensitized you're over there when you rub shoulders with the world every day after a while if you're not careful if you stop praying if you stop seeking god you know what happens everything the world does begin to make sense and what we do here in the house of God, it doesn't make sense. We're viewed as being square and old fogies and, and, and totally out of our mind and everything else. And, and the worst thing that, that some people think could ever be labeled to the church is that, that after a while the church is called a cult. Because somebody has enough guts to stand up and tell people what's right and what's wrong. You may say, has anybody ever called you a cult leader? I've been called worse than that, my friend. But it does not change my view of what the Scripture says. I mean, the Scripture is forever settled in heaven. The Bible says, let God be truth and every man a liar. The word of the Lord is forever settled in heaven. And nothing's going to change it. And God gave it to us as a road map. Now, if I took out the world atlas and all of a sudden I decided I won't look up the state of Wisconsin, and I look at this uh, Rand McNally Nat, uh, map now. Oh, Jesus, Lord. <clears throat> I'm not responsible for everything I'm saying, I don't think. Or maybe I am. But if I took this map out, and all of a sudden I decided that I wanted to change this, and I, I changed it, all right? And I sent it in to uh, this company. I think they had the headquarters down in Tennessee someplace. I sent it in and said, I'll offer some, some changes. It just looks to me like that Highway 12 and 18 and Highway 16 and Highway 14, they look too crooked. So I'd like to straighten these out and, 
And I think that it will be acceptable to society. But the whole problem with that is that when you drive down those roads, it's going to be just like it is. That just by changing the map doesn't change the road. And you see, what we think we can do sometimes is we can change the Bible and change our views, but my friend, it does not change the way of life. It doesn't change it one bit. It's still the same. And you just simply do not change it. Now, everybody's been saying amen and such. Now I want to talk to you. I want to get down right where the rubber meets the road. All right? Verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God and they which commit such things are worthy of death. Now the Bible says that they knew the word of God and they which commit such things are worthy of death. Now notice what it says, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now, what is that talking about? Basically, what Paul is talking about is that there will come a day in in which people, even though they're worthy of the, the wrath of God because they've done those sins, that there will be some people that sit on the sideline and say, well, I never committed fornication. I've never been drunk. I, I've never murdered anybody. But they take pleasure in the sin that people, other people commit. Now, <clears throat> the reason why I wanted to read some notes from this Bible, because... You know, sometimes I give my own views about things. People say, oh, that's just Brother Grant. But now somebody else took the time to try to figure out what this is talking about. I'm going to read this. Paul's last word on general human sinfulness is God's condemnation of a condition even more damning than the practice itself. That is, supporting approving and encouraging evil by taking pleasure in the immoral actions of others. This disposition is the ultimate incorruption, vicarious enjoyment of lust and evil. Sin becomes entertainment. The word have pleasure is taken from a Greek word which means are pleased with, delighted in, or you give approval to, and points to the casual enjoyment of the sins of others that prevails in our human society. Today we know what great harm is produced by the portrayal of immorality that dominates the entertainment media. Now I'm reading from this Bible, I'm reading the notes from this Bible. Yet many consent to it and derive pleasure from it, being entertained by watching other people as they sin and engage in ungodly actions, even while you yourself may abstain. You bring yourself under the same condemnation from God as those being engaged in such evil practices." Getting a little quiet in here. 
Iniquity is intensified in any society where sin meets with no inhibition from the disapproval of others and where people enjoy watching it. Now let me ask you this. How many of you, husband and wife, would be willing to go out someplace and round up some street gang and bring them in your house and let your kids sit down and talk with them all evening while they're using four-letter words, while they're armed with guns, chains, smoking marijuana, crack cocaine. How many of you do that? How many of you would go out and pick up a prostitute someplace on the street and have her come in and have some man to come in and have sex with her while all of you watched? That's what's happening in American homes today through television and video. Yes, exactly. I'm glad you said that because I want to. Yeah, and you, you see, now here's, here's here, let, me, let me talk to you about a danger. The danger of video, even though you may control this to a degree, if, if you teach your children that the, the only thing that they can use in a pastime is, is, is some entertainment media, uh, I'll guarantee you that, that when your precious children leave home, that, that all they'll want to do, the first thing they want to do is go get cable and hook it up in the house and they'll have some of the dirtiest stuff you've ever seen. In there. In other words, children need to be taught that there are certain things that they can do in pastime that is productive. Amen. Now, I, I'm not trying to sound mean, but I am trying to be firm about this. Because it, we don't understand that we as a Christian community can contribute to the downfall of our nature, nation as much as the gangs that walk the streets. And if we ever reach a point in which we have to be entertained by somebody shooting somebody, somebody having sex with somebody, somebody smoking pot or whatever is done on, on so many television programs, we are as guilty as the people that are doing it. This, this comes from the Bible, by the way. I'm not reading from the Sunday papers. I don't believe that the commentary that's here is necessarily part of the Bible. But I believe he's given a good explanation of what this scripture is saying. Amen? Amen? Yes. I think one of the worst stories I ever heard in my whole life. A man and a woman came into this church, gave their heart to the Lord. They have since moved. Uh, they moved a long ways from here. Most of you would never know who I'm talking about. But this man told me that he and his wife, they took pleasure in going and hiring a prostitute and picking up some man off the street, bringing him in, and they watched them in their bedroom have sex. Now, when they came in the church, the first thing they did, they said, is they took their television and they put it out by the, by the curb and said, we're getting rid of it because we don't see that there's any difference in what we were doing then than what we we're bringing into our house via this cable. Because the same thing is happening. 
One of it, one of them, is, is no doubt been shown in many, many homes, while this one other case was an isolated case. So every now and then, when the pastor gets up and he tells people, now you need to watch very carefully what you have in your home, what you bring in your home, keep your home pure, and keep your home separated from the world. Because if you don't, Satan will set up a stronghold right inside of your home. You follow what I'm saying? There's something about human nature. If you pick up the paper, you read all the gory stories. You know stories like somebody worked for Angel Tree and we, we took took up 50 gifts at Calvary Gospel Church and helped people that are not going to have Christmas. That doesn't make a good story. But you let something like O.J. Simpson and all that, let that hit, hit the, man, we go crazy over it. You follow what I'm saying? So we take pleasure in those things. Now we may sit back and say, oh, I hate killing. I've heard people say that. But let's say that you had a let's say you had a detective story and they're cops and they drove around all night long and in their town there were no crimes that night. And the story ends. You'd say, Well, that wasn't even worth watching. So it's not the good prevailing over the over the bad that is of great interest to you. It's the bad itself. It's, it's, it's the, the effect that the bad has upon the human race that becomes interesting. You follow what I'm saying? Well, I've got one other note I want to read. Hence those, and especially those who profess faith in Christ, who use the immoral actions of others for entertainment and, and enjoyment, are directly contributing to public opinion favorable to immorality. And therefore, to the corruption and eternal damnation of people. This sin is worthy of death and will be exposed and judged at the final white Throne, judgment, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 12. Is that strong medicine? I don't know who, who put the notes in this Bible. <clears throat> but somebody had a pretty good handle on what the Scripture is actually teaching. Now, look, I know it's a little quiet in here. But come on, let's just face up to it. All this garbage, this, this television thing is destroying America. And the last time I preached on it, I said, I don't know if there's any use to me preaching on it anymore because it doesn't affect some people. They just go right ahead and watch it anyway. And it does Now, I, 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 want, to, I want to put another word. I, I want to caution people. If you have a VCR and you're watching constructive things, family movies and such, when I say family movies... Movies that you made of your family and teaching uh, situations. Make sure whatever you're showing 
teaches them the value of morality, the value of Christian living, character building. If it's just a bunch of cops and robbers and all this kind of stuff, you're, you're going to have to watch. Listen to me. You're going to have to watch. And you never want to be guilty of planting that desire in that child's heart that every time he has a spare moment, he's got to sit down and watch something. You, you, know, how, you know how it is today. You know... You can't even go on a job. What the guy up there working? You know he's juking and jiving to some, you know, music he's got playing. Yeah. <laughs> really? I saw a guy come through the airport and he had a big old boombox about this big on his shoulder and he was just going like this. Had your phones on? I don't know what he was listening to, but it didn't look too good. <laughs> or you drive up with a red light and somebody's <laughs> going like that in their car. I'm not against music, but what I am saying is that, that we live in a society where everything has to be enjoyable, everything has to be pleasurable. We live every moment for that moment only. And then when you try to talk to people about God... They can't see the value of it because they can't wean themselves away from that kind of lifestyle. Thank the Lord that you did. But keep yourself unspotted from this world. That's what the Bible teaches us. Now, <clears throat> we're just going to stop there. And we're going to turn to ch chapter 3. And we want to read verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. <clears throat> now what has happened, Paul continues on talking, and he talks about this. There is no fear of God before their eyes. <clears throat> now I taught a lesson <clears throat> on fear some time ago, and it was from Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. Uh, if you will turn there. I'm amazed at how awkward I am with this new Bible, huh? I'm glad this is not the first time I've preached in this church. Otherwise, you people would say, man, that preacher needs to get a new Bible or something. <laughs> Deuteronomy 6, 1 and 2. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded thee, thou and thy son, thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Basically what God is saying, if you teach the right thing in your home, and you teach it to your children, and if they listen to it, the blessings of God will be passed from generation to generation. And you know the thing about it is, then you know, uh, you, you can see the fear of God. I, I can just tell you, people just don't fear God anymore. And of course I taught this lesson on the fear of the Lord, and I, I was just, I guess just, just amazed 
uh, when I begin to look in the Scripture, uh, in Proverbs, I've, I've turned to my old Bible. Proverbs 2, My son, if thou, will if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart unto understanding, yea, if thou Christ after knowledge, and liftest, liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hidden treasures. Now what he's talking about, he's talking about a person that goes out and hunts for gold or some treasure. I mean, if, if, you'll, if you'll seek after knowledge and wisdom and understanding, like some old prospector would out in the mountain country, something's going to happen. Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. Isn't that what the Bible says? And that's what we need to do. We need to, we need to start searching and seeking, just like some prospector would seek for, for gold and, and, and such. <clears throat> I have some more scriptures I'd like to read. Uh, someone turn to Romans 8.13. Let's, let's just look at the fear of the Lord there. First one to get it standing, read it, please. We've been doing this a lot. I like this. Okay, Sister Fisher. Proverbs 8.13. Now, if you read it and it doesn't have anything about fear, just, just say Brother Grant did. Is that what it is? Okay, Sister Carla. All right. Now, I want to change this because every now and then I am guilty of going to other places and giving these same messages. And I wouldn't want this to happen some other place, Okay. Got it changed. Now, what did that scripture say? <laughs> the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Now, you're going to find out that as you begin to... When sin becomes repulsive to you, that's when you start fearing God. Some people can do this and not, don't they fear God? Anytime you fall into temptation, the only way that you would fall into temptation and go away from that is, you know, if you knew that God was going to zap you good for doing that, you wouldn't do it. Isn't that right? You would say, oh, Brother Grant, you, you make it sound like God's just a God that's up there that's, that's waiting to zap me. No, I'm not saying that. But I will say this, I do believe that the mercy of God is, is not extended to people who try to play games with God. It's like long-suffering. God is long-suffering. 
But he's not nearly as long-suffering when you try to take advantage of it. Because it wasn't, it's not an attribute of God that's designed for man to take advantage of. And, and did you know the Bible is not a book that's written to us to make God happy. It's written to us to make us happy. Who do you think is, is, is sorrowful when you sin? God? You think while you're down here having a good time, God's up in heaven? Oh, my. Look what Brother Grant's doing. No, that's not it at all. It's when I sin, I'm the one that's unhappy. I'm the one that's miserable. I'm the one that lives under guilt and shame. I'm the one that cries. I'm the one that sheds the tears. Not God. Proverbs 16, 6. I have to close this. Bible study tonight. Okay, Sister Reinhardt has this. Read it for me. All right. See, what you do, you create, uh, you know, you know what a syndrome is. A syndrome is usually associated with some evil. So, or, or some sickness where, where you kind of get in this rut and you can't get out of it. A typical example of that would be a man who who failed to pay his tithing because, you know, he just slipped a little bit and after a while the bills pile up because God's blessing's not upon him. Now he says, I can't afford to because I can't even pay my bills. And he just, he's got this syndrome going here where he can't, he can't get out of this rut. Now, I've got a quick solution to that. If you're not paying your bills anyway, why not just honor God? You see, that's usually the way it works. And once you just start honoring God... Then you break out of that. And, and, and you find that this is also true in, in, in righteousness. That, that, that what happens is that, that your fear of God causes you to hate evil. But because you hate evil, you continue to fear God. You've just got this cycle going. And it's kind of a chain reaction. And don't let the devil get in there and stop that. Don't let the devil get in there and stop that. I've dealt with people that have fallen into sin, that have sat in my office and cried bitter tears. If I could just go back just for, just for two days and live my two days over. But you can't do that. I just, I simply cannot. Proverbs 14, 16. First one to get it, stand up and read it. Proverbs 14, 16. A wise man feareth. And he departed from evil. You know, there is a time in which you just have to say, I don't care. I just, I just have to live for God. This is not right. I know my flesh tells me that otherwise. I know I want to do this. But I, I value my relationship with God. I love my relationship with God. I must stand firm. I've got to, I've got to be on the correct foundation. And this is it. Cornelius was the first Gentile in the Bible that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And the Bible tells us in Acts, the 10th chapter, verse 2, he was a man that feared God with all of his household. And then when Peter preaches to him, Peter preaches a message, and he makes a statement in Acts 10, verse 35, and I'd like the first person to find that to stand up and read it. 
All right. And what he's saying is that in every nation, it doesn't make any difference where you are. If you fear God, this is the proper route to take you to full Bible salvation. Amen. Amen. Why Cornelius? Why Cornelius? Because Cornelius met the criteria. He feared God. He feared God. Praise God. Praise God. You know, the best thing that we can do for our families is to create a holy atmosphere which they can live in. An atmosphere that's full of the holiness and righteousness of God. The best thing you can do for yourself. It may require some discipline. I've said this so many times, I say it again. If there's anything in your house that's against scriptural teaching, you need to go in and you need to, you need to clean house. That's just the way it is. You may say, oh, but that cost me several hundred dollars. What would a man profit if he gained the whole world and lost his soul? Or what should a man give in exchange for his soul? Praise God. I'd like for you to stand, if you would, and I'd like for Sister Grant to come. I'm sure that our praise singers, along with Sister Grant, their minds are kind of boggled now. Every now and then a preacher will teach on, or preach on something. It's easy to get a course. But uh, sometimes when you just cover almost everything, it's a little difficult. Brother Manley has come up with a good one, and I think if this is the will of God, just to walk with him means everything to me. Let's sing it. Just to walk with him means everything to me. Sleep. 